0: Welcome to the Heroes at Home podcast, where we believe heroes can thrive both at work and at home. This podcast is for those who stand watch while we sleep, who run into buildings while others run out, for those who deploy to hard places to have hard fights, and for the families that support them. Through candid conversation, we will discuss the side of things that don't get glorified in the media, what happens when they come home. We'll be talking with heroes from all walks of life and their partners, children, friends, and beyond so together, we can build a stronger family. I'm Noel Metter, CEO, joined by my co-host, Kenny Thomas. Kenny, back in the studio. How are we doing? Here we are. Happy spring. So <laughs> Happy spring. But hey, man, I, I've got to ask you, this is kind of a, uh, a personal question that... You don't have to answer on the air, but I think inquiring minds want to know, is it true that every time you go to the grocery store, you come back with flowers for Heidi?
1: Every time is a tough one because um, not every time the grocery store has flowers. Good answer. Good answer. So the answer is yes, (laughs) I do. You should never pass up an opportunity to bring home flowers. I
0: just love that, man. I mean, you're obviously... uh, putting the onus on all of us guys to step it up, step up our game. But I think it's powerful.
1: I, I had a friend of mine named Noel. He wrote this book about how to succeed in a relationship. And
0: and I, I'm a good student. I am coachable, that's
1: for sure. <laughs> I'm coachable.
0: Yeah, and that guy, Noel, his wife saw this post and she's like, man, you need to act more like Kenny Thomas. Like every time this is amazing. Like this is more like Kenny. (laughs) The motto around my home right now is be like Kenny. So there There you go. (laughs) Our motto is dress like Noel
1: because I called up Carissa and I said, Hey, I have to buy a suit and I don't have a clue how to do it or where to go for one. Who does Noel's suits? And she's like, I made them. I'm like, Oh, since she sent me to the people she used to work for yeah Uh, i just went up there to cleveland and had the lady measure me out oh oh, shoot i'm all yeah i'm telling you what next time
0: i get on here i'm gonna wear my suit you'll never go back to just the normal you know suit experience at nordstrom or wherever man once it's custom you just can't go back so i'm telling you (laughs) <laughs> it's a game changer. Feels very rock star. <laughs> you are a rock star. I mean, this is appropriate. I want to I see the uh, the final digs. Today, man, we've covered a lot of topics, custom dress wear, flowers, at the <laughs> and none of that really relates to the topic. This topic actually is quite serious. And I would probably just put out there before we jump into it. If you're dealing with PTS, this could maybe potentially be a trigger because we have Pete and CJ coming on, we're going to be interviewing them. And Pete's story is one that it's real. And I think yeah. it's amazing in terms of the journey that the two of them have been on, but it's specifically Pete and just kind of the process that he's walked through dealing with that. So
1: What I'm excited about is, you said it spot on, his story is very real. His struggle will be familiar to people who are dealing with pts but they came out on the other end and the lessons because they spoke at one of the stronger family retreats and the lessons that they learned and the experience and the story that they share it just puts everything into focus because it's like oh yeah oh that happened oh yeah that happens to us too oh yeah like now you have this common All of a sudden, what they're talking about is very real to you because you've been through it. The authenticity of this one is, it's gonna help a lot of people.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Pete and CJ, it's so good to have you on the show. Thank you guys for taking the time to be a part of uh, Heroes at Home. And I'm joined with Kenny Thomas, and I just wanted—I want to jump right into your guys' story because I think when I got introduced to Pete, I was actually amazed at just the life experience, Pete, that you've gone through. I mean, there's not very many people that can say, I've served in the military, I've served as a firefighter, and now I'm serving as a police officer. Kind of remarkable in terms of being able to check all three of those boxes. That's not really what the show is going to be about. This is actually... Uh, our focus today is going to be on Pete's story of PTS and his journey and what that has looked like. So maybe take us all the way back to the military, Pete, and kind of where did this start for you?
2: I, I think it really starts the the first time I got a G.I. Joe action figure. And just like any kid, that's all I ever wanted to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's great you got Kenny on here because growing up, all I ever wanted to be was a Ranger. Just like your typical recruiting story, I went to the army recruiter and this guy was in there and he was overweight and he's got a ranger shirt on and i just turned 17 and being you know a young 17 year old i walked in i was like hey i all i ever want to do is be a ranger i understand all you can do is give me a shot to go try out but that's all i wanted and i don't know if he met his quota already that month but this guy totally blew me off and he was like you can't even do that and you know gave me all these things and and then looking at him, I'm like, well, maybe these Rangers aren't everything I thought it was. The next day, I got a call from the Marine Corps recruiter, and I showed up, and he's got his dress blues on, and he's big, and he's yoked. And I was like, Marine Corps, this is what I want to do. Of course, you know, I was told everybody jumps out of planes, does scuba, and blows things up. So I was, I was in hook, line, and sinker. 2002 is when I went off to boot camp. I uh, went down to MCRD down in San Diego, and that started my Marine Corps kind of career. I served from 2002 to 2007. In uh, 2004, I had the privilege to serve overseas as part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. That's kind of where my story with post-traumatic stress really starts. While part of uh, serving out, out in the Fallujah area, uh, we were hit by an IED. We were pretty large-scale ambush, and a good friend of mine was killed. That kind of starts this, this post-traumatic stress tour. I came home a short time after that. Every time I was overseas, I didn't have any issues, but this starts where I'm having those problems and I kind of put that away for a while. 2011, after I got out in 2007, I went to school. I had a chance to go play uh, football at Palomar Community College, walked on and made the football team. But because of my post-traumatic stress, I had a real hard time being on the field and I just constantly felt this overwhelming fear of letting my teammates down. And needless, I mean, I just I just couldn't be on the field and went back up to the Washington State here. I got my degree in history and I really missed that brotherhood and that camaraderie of serving. And I had the chance to start my service in law enforcement in 2011. And it, w- it was fantastic at first. And I had a great time. I've done a ton of stuff. I've worked vice, I uh, worked a lot of different things for the past two years. I've been a detective. Just recently, I promoted to a supervisor position, so I'm back on the road. And solely over that time, though, I had some bad supervisors and just kind of had pushed me out of being a police officer. And I looked at being a, a firefighter. So went into the whole process of trying to become a firefighter. It's a long and arduous one. It's a very competitive uh, career field. And finally, in 2019, I got hired. And that's when everything with my post-traumatic stress really came to a head. And that's kind of where we'll we'll get with that. So
0: I mean I know you have something to say about that. I mean, <laughs> come on.
1: I have all kinds of comments. Pete, you just summarize like <laughs> your life capsule in a 90-second. Isn't that crazy how we can do that when we're in the we're in the military? <laughs> and I serve from here to here to here. And it, it, it's just like we could spend a couple hours on Fallujah alone and then I could tell you my story. My recruiting, so why I ended up in the Rangers is because the Navy SEAL recruiter had his feet up on the desk, his head was like, Now, why do you want to be a seal? They're crazy. <laughs> and in case you don't complete your seal training, they're gonna send you worldwide. And I'm like, guys like you and me don't worry about not completing the training. And I saw, mm-hmm. and, and the army recruiters at, at the other room, and he's like, hey, come here, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up there. So first of all, thanks for your service, and and uh, the things that I hear in there uh, that that Noel and I. Are starting to find common ground. Is it's it's not when you're when you're with your family, your brothers, and you're doing your job and you're doing your thing, you can compartmentalize everything. And it, but it's when you have those moments where you're outside of that, it starts affecting you. I find it interesting that it affected you. I want to talk a little bit more about that. That it affected you in a team environment, in the arena. Like, why do you think that it it, it hits you? particularly there, help me understand that. Like you couldn't be in front of a crowd or it was just, you were so worried about letting people down that you didn't want to step in. Like what was the, that's interesting to me because it would seem that you had found another family, people to your left and your right outside in the private world, in the real world, but it didn't work. And so I'd, I'd like to think, talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So with my combat experience, I felt I think all of us are always trying to reach that pinnacle and I don't think anybody ever feels like they get there. It's it's amazing talking to guys at Ranger Battalion, talking to guys who are Tier 1 and I don't think every anybody ever fully feels like they haven't completed something. Talking to guys it, it's for me is is a sense of being a fraud almost because all these young guys. I was 23 at the time, and you know, there's 18, 19 year olds, and they're looking up to me as this, you know, Marine. And I just felt like I, because of my combat experience, I was the lead vehicle. IED went off a few vehicles behind me that ended up killing my friend, and I just felt like a fraud. Like I wasn't a hero. Like I missed, you know, these signs that I, I didn't stop this IED from going off. And so for years, I, I dealt with this sense of being a fraud and. In my combat experience, my buddy, when the IED went off, he got stuck in the vehicle and I had to listen to him burn alive. And so there was a brief, brief moment. And with combat, you know, there's time dilation, all these sensory things that happen. And for that brief moment, I was up on the 50 cal. And for a second, I had this thought of my friend is suffering. I need to take a shot into this vehicle to end his suffering. So for a long time, I dealt with this huge sense of guilt because I had thought about taking my friend's life and just being a fraud. And I think it's a very human thing to think my friend is stuck in there. He's burning alive. I need to do this. Thank goodness I didn't because I'm sure if I had taken that shot, I would have been in my life years ago just because of the sense of guilt and shame that I've carried for a long time Uh being on the football field. You know, I I have all these guys looking to me and I think a little bit of is that uh, agoraphobia, that being out in front of the crowd, but playing safety linebacker. I just had this overwhelming fear of letting my team down again. And when I first got home, dealing with post-traumatic stress, I had all the symptoms. I was stronger families. We we print out the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And I mean, you could just go down the list and I I checked every box of risk taking behavior. Isolation, just go down the list, and I, I was hitting them all. Uh, luckily, I had a great staff NCO at the time who I, I kind of opened up to, and he was like, "Hey, you need to get some help," and started a slight journey on that. And we'll jump into the, some of the fun with that. But it wasn't until the fire academy where I'm out there on the drill field, and and that was a police officer for for years. I had gone to. Vehicle fires, structure fires, I've done all sorts of stuff and, and my post traumatic stress had never really impacted me like it did until I got to the to the fire uh, academy mm-hmm. and being out on the drill field it's thanks for saying that i I served as a firefighter I, I was only at the academy really for a few short weeks, at a short period of time with the fire department before I really realized my calling. but being out on the drill field, we started doing just doing simple drills, donning and doffing equipment and Whatever it was, the anxiety and and everything started to build up, and I'm out there, and it feels like mentally I'm in a hurricane, and I couldn't focus more than just going step to step. And so, can you know, I just I just kind of rangered up and made sure, hey, all right, I'm getting my gloves on, I'm getting my hood on, I'm just going step by step down the list of getting donning and doffing my gear. But as I'm out there, I I can smell Iraq again, And, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I'm standing out there and I'm doing all these drills. They're doing a controlled burn, uh, some training evolution behind me. So I start compartmentalizing and I'm like, well, that, okay, whatever that smell is, it's because they're doing a burn. And well, we're out on the drill field, so that's why it's really hot. Like I can feel next to the fire again. And, it, I, mean, you know, I, and I can hear all these things, but I can't put a, a word to it. I couldn't figure out what was happening. For the rest of the day, I just, for better or worse, I just it up and got through it. And that evening I, I got done with the academy and, I was like, all right, I'm going to get home. I'm going to get right. And so make the drive, drive home, talk to some friends. They're like, yeah, you know, anxiety a new job, those kind of things. I'm like, all right, yeah, you know, makes sense. Got home, laid down to go to sleep at about nine o'clock that night, 10 o'clock, 11 midnight. And I'm tossing and turning 1 a.m., 2 a.m. and it just hits me full on. I'm laying in bed and I can feel heat from the fire. I'm hearing all the sounds and I'm smelling everything again. And trying to figure out what's going on and basically started crying uncontrollably from about two in the morning through my time that later that day in the hospital. But while I'm laying in bed, to me, I, as I remember it, CJ said, hey, is this Iraq? And when she said that to me, immediately I could feel the heat from the fire and I realized that's what I'm feeling. The sounds I'm hearing is combat, my friend, and the smells. It's, I'm right back in Iraq and I can fully smell it again. But it was not until she said that, that everything clicked and I knew what those things were. Somehow I got through the night, I got to the hospital the next day, CJ was incredible. She got the kids to school, she got me to the hospital. And like my journey with post-traumatic stress, my first doctor is telling me, hey, go home and eat some walnuts and you're gonna be okay because there's a chemical in walnuts that will help you go to sleep and help you deal with post-traumatic stress. And I'm like, dude, I've been crying since two in the morning. It's noon. I need something more than walnuts, man. Uh, Luckily, the oncoming doctor had been a Navy SEAL. He was a medic. And so the nurse, he was fantastic. He had been a gentleman who had been a a firefighter up here in Washington State. His entire family was Vietnam veterans. And so he knew post-traumatic stress. He's like, I'm going to act like I'm checking you out. But really, I'm just waiting for this current doctor to get off shift so you can talk to this next guy and that that's where my transformation started he says hey pete first you got to get some help man and they gave me a shot of uh of ativan uh i think i had i had a xanax the doctor gave me that did nothing uh they knocked me out i don't know how you got me back to home uh you somehow carried me out of the hospital room to the car and then back inside The next day. So this, this started on a Thursday and actually it started Thursday, September 11th, 2019. So it starts on a Thursday, Friday, I'm in the hospital, Saturday, I'm in a funk all day, Saturday night. It kicks off again, that post-traumatic stress flashbacks, anxiety, just rolling waves of this Sunday morning. We're like, Hey, I I need to go to the VA. I need somebody who's actually dealt with post-traumatic stress. So check myself in there. They hooked me up to some machines, start doing your basic stuff, blood pressure, heart rate. Uh, and the doctor says, hey, Pete, it, it looks like you, you take care of yourself and, and you, you're fairly active. What's your normal resting heart rate? And so, was, hey, you know, it's you know usually like low 50s. And she goes, the doctor says, well, it's 30 beats per minute right now and your blood pressure is completely crashed. So they started hooking me up to an EKG, making sure that I'm not having a stroke or any other heart issues. And they start talking to us and getting us kind of checked into the VA. And that's when they start talking to me like, Hey, we'd like to monitor you over the weekend for a couple of days. And we'd like, you know, that you to stay here. And in my mind at this point, I'm thinking I'm going to be in a hospital room. So I was like, yeah, there's, there's no problem with that. I'll be in a hospital room. You know, it'll be kind of like, all right, I'll get checked into the VA. They'll start me you know, on that process and we'll, we'll start getting some good, you know, help going. The moment she says, so we're going to take you in. We're going to take you in as, as a, as an intake for the psych ward. And I mean, that was, this is the start of me tearing down all of this facade that I had built up for years post being overseas and being in Iraq and checking in and, and here's me handing over the, the drawstring for my sweatpants, my shoelaces and going into the psych ward. And it wasn't because I was suicidal i didn't have any ideations of self-harm or harming others but for two days i couldn't get my emotions under control uh my post-traumatic stress was just rolling and i needed to get some help so i was finally like hey i i need help and whatever i've been doing isn't working
0: wow i want to just pause there for a moment because your significant others right here. So I don't think we've introduced CJ. And so my question is, CJ, were you part of this entire journey through Iraq and what he saw downrange and then everything that he's described? Or did you come into this later after Iraq?
3: I met Pete when he got back from Iraq. And so it was still super fresh for him. Uh, the first couple times that we hung out he had told me some things that had happened there and I thought to myself wow this is a person who's super connected to their feelings and emotions and can share this stuff and I didn't realize that he was just starting to process some PTs stuff and that that actually wasn't the case <laughs> he was actually a really guarded person and so the more our relationship went on and in our marriage I didn't realize what was happening to him there were just kind of moments it I felt like I wasn't understanding what was happening. Like there were times when he would just isolate and need to be alone for a long time. And I didn't really understand that. Or there were times where something little would happen and he would get super angry about it, not in a violent way, but just a, like kind of an overreaction. And I would think, well, that's, I don't really understand why, why that's happening. And so over the years I thought it was me. I thought I wasn't doing, I wasn't really the wife that he needed or the support that he needed or that I wasn't helping enough or helping the right way. And so I really for a long time I just felt like this is I'm not fixing it. I think it's a natural thing for spouses to feel. We feel like we see our person having a hard time and we really we want to fix it, but the reality is it's it's not ours to fix and we can't fix it. And so it's hard to find a balance between like supporting and not overly just, I'm going to fix you, I'm going to fix you. So when we tell this story, Pete was in Iraq in 2004. And when he was in the when he started with the fire department, this was 2019. So this is 15 years later. So 15 years has gone by where our communication hasn't been great. When he after he's come full circle. And he'll probably talk about that in a moment where now we're in the healthiest place we've ever been. But one thing he shared with me after he'd really gone through this whole journey is, Hey, I want you to, I want you to know that I've really kept you at an arm's distance for most of our marriage, because I felt like I needed to insulate myself and to protect you from the things that I've seen. And that was a relief to me because I, that was the moment where I realized this isn't me. It's actually not my fault. I'm not really doing anything wrong. So when he was in Fire Academy, he was sending me these messages going, I don't know if I can do this. And I was thinking, well, what can you not do? Because you've like been to war. You've been an incredible police officer, like, a, like who's won awards. You have, he, like, he finished boot camp with a broken ankle because he didn't want to get rolled back. Like, this is not the person who can't do something. <laughs> and so when, uh, He said that I knew kind of something was going on. And when this event happened, it was so significant that in my mind, I was wondering, am I going to get my husband back? Because this was, he wasn't able to break this cycle of, of rolling flashbacks. And it was, it was super, super hard to just kind of see. But at the same time, this is what we do. First responder spouses are super mentally tough. This was my call to action. So I'll do whatever I need to do. And so it was I think in a way, I finally felt like I was being helpful. Like I was like, okay, this is something I can do. This is something I can help. And even though it was really, really hard and it felt really uncertain, there was a lot of it was us kind of coming together. And after he got home, I had been in contact with a friend of ours who has done many, many tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and has he's has pretty severe PTS. And I was talking to him and he was like, you've got to send Pete to this program called My Yokes. It's run by combat veterans for combat veterans. It's like a week long program. And I told him Pete is never going to go to like a week long program where he's going to sit around with other veterans and talk about feelings. Like that's not his vibe. <laughs> and he was like, well, I'm going to call them and tell them that he's coming and I'm going to send you the application. You fill it out, you send it in and we'll just tell him, you know, you just drive him to the airport. <laughs> and so I told Pete, you know, as he was going through this, I said, hey, I'm going to ask you for this one thing. And I know you're not going to want to do it. I know that. But I'm asking you for this for this one thing for me. And this is what it is. And so he went and in this program, and on on top of what he had been through in the VA and that outpatient program that the VA provided him and just really kind of walking through this whole experience, it fundamentally changed. It changed his life. It changed our relationship. It changed our family, just for the better. It was all these years of unaddressed, things that he'd been holding and, and that I'd been kind of holding too, were just able to kind of be undone and just to let go of the guilt and and kind of move out of this space where it was just kind of this hyper vigilant holding, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't, I didn't know that that was a, a part of the journey of you saying, there's just one thing that I want you to do. Pete, how did that strike you? I mean, what was your reaction? Because I know for some they would say, no way, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Even though my, my spouse is asking, pretty remarkable that, that you jumped in and said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I didn't, I didn't know about that part of the story. That's amazing.
2: So when I got back, I was going through all this destructive behavior and I had a great staff NCO. And so this is 2005 and he's like, Hey, you know, let's get you over. Let's get you to start talking to the therapist and we'll get you some help. And I mean, there was there was nights when I first came back where I would wake up and my bed was completely soaked. I would just have night sweats, terrors. My first try to get therapy, I walk into the office and the lady had tattooed makeup to her face the day before. And so her face is swollen and she looks like Ronald McDonald with these big puffed out lips and like literally she had tattooed makeup to her face. Apparently it's a thing people do. And so, you know, I'm a 19, 20 year old Marine and I'm looking at this lady and I'm like, anyone, and especially guys, I'm like, there's no way you're going to help me. You have makeup tattooed to your face and it's all swollen up and you look ridiculous. And so, my first try at therapy was not, and it was on me because I immediately shut down. I was like, there's no way I'm going to, you know, help you. And this is early in, military therapy where I checked in and they're just, hey, here's a bunch of pills. You just need to start taking pills and medicate. And I didn't wanna have anything to do with that. So I think I went to three sessions, we did some EMDR. I wasn't committed to it and that was it. Uh, Moved up to Washington, like I said, I'm going to school. I, I got plugged in with the Vet Center, so with the VA. There was a great Iraq and Afghanistan veteran group that was pretty helpful, but I think like a lot of guys it's really tough to open up around other uh, veterans because you don't want to appear weak. You don't want to sit there and admit like, dude, I'm, I'm hurting, man. Like I'm messed up. So it was a good group to be around. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of us were kind of keeping everything at bay because we're guys, we're veterans, we're Marines, Army. And just to be honest, it's, it's that culture of like, I'm not going to admit that I'm hurting because I don't want to appear weak. So did some more EMDR there. Helps a little bit. I think, you know, this was kind of like putting Band-Aids on the wound for a while. It just kind of pushed me along. I I was never bad with self-medicating. I wasn't a heavy drinker. I wasn't taking pills or anything like that. If I drank, though, especially when I first got back, I I overdid it every time. And it was just absolutely to mask all the pain. And it would just be it would be a Friday or Saturday thing. It wouldn't affect me during the week. But those times were pretty bad. Knowing that I have a family history of alcohol abuse though, I, I luckily was like, I, I need to stop with this. I've seen how it's impacted others in my family. So I, I, I got lucky with that and, and didn't allow it to take hold. And it wasn't until you know I start there, I'm in the psych ward. So the, v- the VA starts getting me processed in and they started giving me good techniques as far as grounding, being able to handle my anxiety. And then I started really hammering in is going to therapy and making sure that i'm i was fully committed i mean like i said the prior two times i wasn't committed to it and being a first responder being a veteran you know like hey you got to put in the reps and you got to make it meaningful and i wasn't doing that like i've been a bodybuilder for a long time i've done workouts have been big stress relief for me and knowing those things i know if i'm not putting in the, the meaningful reps whether it's Working out in the gym or training in the Marine Corps, or training the law enforcement, it's not going to have an impact. So I dove headfirst into the therapy side, really realizing that I was torn down to the very bare bones foundation of who Pete was at this point. Everything else I had built up around me was torn down the moment I handed over my shoelaces and my first night in the psych ward sitting there. I, you know, And I, and I prayed. I, I opened up, you know, and my faith has always been a big thing for me. And just prayed. I was like, God. Three weeks ago, I was a cop. Two weeks ago, I thought I was starting my dream job where I was going to retire as a firefighter. And I'm in a psych ward tonight. Like I don't know where I'm at. I give it all to you, and I need to start some healing. So diving into that, I get out of there. CJ's got me checked into to go to Mighty Oaks. And, and part of old Pete was still there. Where and I was kind of hesitant. I, I was like, Man, I don't. I don't want to like be vulnerable and be honest around other vets. Like, cause I had this huge sense of shame and guilt for my, this brief one second thought that I had nothing else I did overseas has ever bothered me. I've, I've never lost a wink of sleep for everything else for being deployed, but it was that one moment and just that feeling like I'd let them down because the IED went off and feeling that shame that i had had this thought of, this humane thought of taking my friend's life because he's suffering. So I, I dove in and, you know, and I'm mean, gonna honestly like the, the drive down to the airport, getting on the flight, going to Mighty Oaks. I was like, it's great because they, they take these photos like the first night you're there and it's all military vets. So everybody's, you know, arms are folded and everybody's trying to look tough. And, you know, you could tell nobody really wants to be there and open up. But hearing other guys be vulnerable and realizing, we're all in this together. Like there is no, there's no shame in this, and I, I think we've done such a terrible job in society and and pop co- and culture in general, where we treat post traumatic stress as like you're broken and there's something wrong with you, and we see it in movies and 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 everything where this veteran who goes through post traumatic stress, he's a he's a loner and he's dealing with drugs and you know he's homeless and it's not the case. And we tried to make it this thing where it's like you're broken and, and you're not, man. It's it's this normal healthy response. Your body's trying to protect you from a massively traumatic event. And we need to be able to unpack these things. Post-traumatic stress isn't a, a bad thing. It's when you allow it to become a disorder. That's what we need to make sure that we, we get to it before then. So yeah, mm. that was the moment is, is being a Mighty Oaks. Part of my faith is God. God used all of this to tear down all of these stones that I had built of who Pete was. So for this long period of time, for 13 years, we've had this marriage where I've held a lot of this inside, where early on, I, I shared some of the experience. And she put up with me for a long time of being a jerk, for better words, especially around, you know, the month May is May 31st is when my friend was, was killed in action. And she'll tell you every every May, I start getting a little honery and, uh you know, being a little bit of a pain to deal with. It was hard to hear that she thought it was her for so long. but being able to open myself and be vulnerable and realize it wasn't the job. It wasn't all of these other things. It was this post-traumatic stress that I hadn't unpacked. Think of it like the rucksack. The the analogy is all throughout life. And as a first responder, especially we're, we're throwing in these stones. Some are big, some are small. For a long time, I've been carrying that heavy guilt, shame, just rock this boulder and everything else finally just added up and it broke me down. And so by being open and unloading this, I emptied out that rucksack and going to therapy. I I put all this away. I was like being able to to come to terms with things and being able to be open about it. It gave me the chance to really, like I said, tear down all of these, this facade that I built and start truly healing and I'd say ever ever since I started with Mighty Oaks, really diving into therapy through the VA, and that's when it's the healing started. If you open up about post traumatic stress and just to be vulnerable is seen as very feminine. So I think it's it's on so many of us as veterans to to take control of the narrative and be like, hey man, it's okay to open up with your battle buddy. It's okay to open up with your you know the guys you deployed with, and and you know be honest you're trusting them to the guy and gals to the left and right of you every day to protect your life. If you're dealing with something, you're not hundred percent. It's a simple thing like an injury. If I have a broken leg, people are going to be like, Hey Pete, you need to go to the doctor and get this treated. But if I have post-traumatic stress and I'm trying to cover it up, nobody's going to say anything especially if i don't open it up because nobody's going to see it i'm going to mask it through other things and it's only going to be visible at home or we're going to write it off as, as these little things as a part of the culture
1: what Noel and i talked about on the front end of this is i had an issue with the heroes being in the title because i know that none of us that ever wore the uniform wanted to come on and be like hey interview me i'm a hero and we said well what if we change the dialogue On what hero is because every story that's a great story the central character who is the hero has to go through struggle before they can reach doing something good and i think that's what i love is that story is repetitive and your your story pete is one you recognize that there was something going on and we know a lot of people who who won't do that they'll just stay in denial Two, you were very intentional about doing something about it, doing the, the meaningful reps. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. And in three, what we've found is it never works. No one takes the hill alone, and it never works alone. There's always got to be somebody. And that it's that left and your right. And in your case, it was CJ. And then it's God. I I have found everybody makes it. It doesn't mean it's easier. I haven't seen anyone successfully get to the other side of the story without that left and the right, which is somebody who maybe it was a veteran who stepped in. It was your wife. It was a spouse and God. And I just see those repetitive themes coming in. And I'm all that to say, I just, I love, I love the story. You're doing a
0: shit hot job of being able to tell it. So good job, buddy. Appreciate you. I mean, like what? was it that allowed you to stay through this entire journey? And then I think a follow-on question is oftentimes when the person who's getting treated for PTS, they go on that journey alone, they end up moving forward with the healing process and their spouse is left behind. And it's almost like they get to the other side of it and the spouse is bitter because it's like, well, wait a second here. I'm unpacking all of this emotion myself and there's no one that I'm doing this with you've had that opportunity I so I just that dynamic I think is very real and we keep hearing that from a spouse's perspective and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it
3: well we're both very stubborn so I think that's a piece of it is that both of us are not the type of person that is like well I'm done I quit we're like no you quit. No, you, you know, so, no. So I think that we're both fiercely loyal. And we both are really, we both have really strong personalities in really different ways. I myself have a bit of a first responder background. I was an EMT for years. So I knew what was going on. And a big piece of my being able to get through it was knowing why. And so for me, understanding, like understanding post traumatic stress, knowing that some of the things that he was going through were because not as an excuse, as just a reason and being able to understand it helped me so much. There's a story I like to tell when I took Pete to the VA and I I took him in and there was this great triage nurse there and Pete was just like, he didn't talk much the whole time. He was just really focused on trying to get through it. And uh, the triage nurse was a former SEAL medic and he said, Pete, here's the deal, man, this pts this is your dragon when you have post-traumatic stress you need to think of it like having a dragon dragons are fiery temperamental creatures and so it's your job to learn how to tame it it's your job to learn how to feed it and this is yours forever so we will give you the tools we will teach you how to do this but it's on you it's your responsibility this stays with you and there was something about that for me to just know okay This is a real thing. He's going to have this forever because even though he's in the healthiest place he's ever been and we're in the healthiest place that we've ever been, you don't just unsee or unremember things that have happened to you. But giving him the tools, I was excited. I was like, this is the worst day ever, but also filled with so much hope. And when he came back from Mighty Oaks, in fact, there's almost no cell reception where he was. And so I didn't have a lot of contact with him, but they post photo updates on Instagram. And so I was waiting every day to see the photos. And uh, the second day he was there, I was swiping through the photos and I was trying to see where he is. And I swiped right past him because he looked so different physically. He looked like his face had changed and he had just let go of everything. And he looked happy and just in a way and like relaxed. And I just hadn't seen that before in this way. It was such a dramatic shift, but when he came home, I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop because we had just gone from him being in a really kind of bitter place with the police department into a place of sort of hope with the fire department and into this place of just really, really difficult, challenging time. And then he came home filled with purpose and filled with with hope and completely changed. And I was like... Just waiting, trying to feel it out and trying to learn what to do. But he was so committed to those repetitions and doing all of the work that he just got healthier and healthier. That's a gift. I mean, it's really easy to look at that and be like, oh, fine, well, now you're better. And, you know, this is still hard for me and whatever. But I think that's, we can't do that. We can't let ourselves do that. We have to just be grateful for this gift and then figure out how to kind of move forward. So I think that. There are still times when I will find myself kind of reverting to the way that I used to be when he was stressed. And I have to just kind of mentally check myself and let down my own guards that I've built to kind of contribute to this new life that we have. So in a way, his PTS will always be there. My feelings and you know, reactions to that over years will probably always be there in a way, but we're aware of it and we understand it. And that's what makes the difference in how we operate from day to day.
0: I love it. That's so good. I appreciate you describing that because I think some feel like this is, there's an end state to it. Like, okay, if we go through these things, we'll finally be able to be completely healed. And the truth is, is that is not how it works. It is something that we have to continue to contend each day. And that reality is just part of it. In closing, because we are out of time, but I think the one thing I'll just leave you with a question for the audience, for those who are listening, if Someone right now is dealing with PTS or their spouse has been in the shoes, CJ, that you've walked in. What would you say to them in the sense of early on and not understanding what you now know, what would you encourage them to do?
3: I think it's so important to have community. I think that in this day and age, we are so good at distracting ourselves and we have everything we need to distract ourselves on the phone that we carry everywhere with us. And For both the first responder and the spouse, when things are hard, we tend to just find a good distraction or find a show to binge or just kind of engage in that type of activity when what we really need is each other because that's what carries us through it. It's way easier, right? To just kind of veer towards the distraction. It's much harder to be intentional and to build community. And that's one thing I appreciate so much about stronger families is yes, we're contributing, we're giving families these resources, but also we're giving them community. And that is, you have to have it. You have to have it because that's why part of the reason why I was able to get through it, because I had friends that were kind of going through the same thing Just knowing that somebody gets you, and knowing that somebody sees you, and can pray with you, can be with you, can support you, makes all of the difference in the world. Because you cannot do this alone. Just like Kenny said earlier, you cannot. And so, if you're a spouse that is feeling isolated and it feels hard to talk to your spouse, I would encourage you to find at least one person that is also a spouse in whatever department you're affiliated with, or or not. That doesn't have to be the same department, and just. Spend time together. It doesn't have to be an airing of grievances. It doesn't have to be a complaining fest. In fact, it shouldn't be. But I think it's so important for both the first responders to build community together and go and do things together outside of work and for the spouses to do the same thing. I really think that the thing that helps the most is outside of of having some strong faith is really having that strong inner circle, having that strong community. I think it makes all the difference.
0: There is such a need right now for community to come around this and to have a place where we can have a dialogue and conversation around what's working, what's not working. How do we move this to a place where it's not a stigma? It's reality. It's a part of the job. And I think that's what's lacking. So I appreciate you guys being courageous, coming on and sharing your story. And I know that it's helping so many. It's going to help many, many more. So again, thank you guys. Appreciate you. Well,
3: thank you. It's it's our honor. Thank you.
2: Thank you, and God bless for what you guys are doing by just hosting these talks and just having people to be able to share these and and start having some real healing going on.
0: Josh, one, I just love those guys. They are amazing. Um, Had a chance to do quite a bit of stuff, not only the retreats, but we filmed in the studio, a whole other video segment on their story. And I can tell you that, the way it's resonating with so many first responders. It's a topic that we just aren't talking enough about. And I think not just talking about it, but what is the hope, right? Like <laughs> there's a lot of resources on PTS, but what's the actual like story of getting through? And it's not that you are, I mean, as as we heard, he's still dealing with it. He's still battling this, but he's in a very good place in terms of that journey. So maybe a couple of takeaways, Kenny, as someone who is a, uh, can relate on the military side, veteran, seen a lot of trauma. What were some of the takeaways for you? Kind of like what I said to him. The first takeaway was that while it was uniquely
1: CJ and Pete's story, it was also very similar to a lot of the stories that we've heard, which is what you and I talked about on the front end and why we call this thing the heroes. It's because they, there was this struggle. What I loved about Pete is that, one, he realized that he had something, and if you're watching this podcast, you're listening to this podcast, and you're you're going to these councils, you're at a point where you realize there's something happening. The next thing was that he was very intentional and determined to do something about it because it was starting to affect the people that he loved and it was starting to affect his life. And so he decided, I'm going I'm to go do something. I'm going to do the hard work. And he called it intentional, meaningful reps coming from his workout type ethic. And then the other part I found in that story was what we forget is that we don't take the hill alone. Nobody uh, can do this alone. And there comes a point where you have to be willing to accept the help. You have to be willing to be open. And he kept using the word vulnerable. And when you open that space, God steps in. And then when you allow other people to step in together, that community, as CJ calls it, You can accomplish great things that you would never be able to do on your own. And I think that's what got him through those really difficult friction points where it had a chance to fail. Right. So I think that's what stood out to me the most was that they started the journey together and they ended the journey together together through the struggle which is the story of of every great hero show me a hero i'll write you a tragedy and so now they're in a great place to help others
0: yeah i think the only thing i would add is just the idea of the dragon and she cj talked about this like this is a dragon that is going to be with you for the rest of your life and how are you feeding it
1: we should make a point no of doing it an entire episode On that, what I wanted, that I wrote it actually down for Pete and CJ, I was like, they ought to write a book called "Taming the Dragon," and and what that means, because I would like to get, I, I want to do a whole thing about that idea that this will be with you. It's something that you have. It doesn't mean that you're you're jacked up for life now. It doesn't mean that this is some sort of terminal illness that you can. You can get through this and you learn, you learn to live with it and you learn the the people that are around you learn to recognize it. And then it doesn't, it doesn't have power over you. And that's really what we're trying to get to. We don't want it to control our lives like it was doing. It doesn't have power over us.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if sometimes those who are dealing with PTS, they want it to be over because they associate it to being broken right? I'm broken if I have this. Um, And I think Pete and CJ would say, it's not about being broken. It's about recognizing that this thing is always going to be a part of my life. I'm healthier. I'm healing. I'm not broken like I was before. So good points of clarification. For us to
1: wrap it up, I want to read something to you real quick. I thought about it when Pete said it and, or actually CJ said it, that it's just, it's going to be with us. It's a quote from Oliver Stone. He was a veteran of Vietnam and people don't know that, but he wrote Platoon, which was a big Vietnam movie. But at the end of the movie, there's this quote that he says, he says, you know, the war is over for me now, but it will always be here for the rest of my days. And for those of us who did make it, we have an obligation to teach others what we know and to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and meaning to this life. I would say that Pete and CJ are standing in the arena, and they have taken what they uh, and found the goodness and the meaning, and they have the they have accepted the obligation to teach others what they know.
0: Hey, if you're listening right now and you're dealing with PTS or your loved one is, in the show notes, we're gonna have the resources that were mentioned, Mighty Oaks, some of the other things that we've as an organization have come across that have been absolutely essential for folks to heal, to process, and more importantly, to do that together as a couple. So go to strongerfamilies.com slash podcast. Uh, You can pick up the show notes. If you're listening online, it should be there for you. If not, reach out to us. Anyway, see you next time. See ya.